In our last episode, we talked about different ways to get physically active, and most of us already know the physical benefits of doing so, such as getting in better shape and improving our cardiovascular and metabolic health. However, the benefits don't stop there. In fact, there are lots of cognitive benefits of exercise that are extremely beneficial for students, not only now, but also as they age. If you're interested in this topic, keep on listening, as the guest on today's episode is Dr. Lindsay Nagamatsu, a professor in the Department of Kinesiology and the director of the Exercise, Mobility, and Brain Health Lab at Western. Hello, Dr. Nagamatsu. Nice to have you here on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us what your role is at Western and some of the responsibilities that your role entails? Yeah, so my name is Dr. Lindsay Nagamatsu. I'm a professor in the School of Kinesiology in the Faculty of Health Sciences here at Western. And my job here really is a mixture, as most professors have, of research, teaching at both the graduate and undergraduate level, as well as service to the department, university, and the community at large. And I would say the biggest component of my job is running a research lab where we run studies and I supervise the team of graduate and undergraduate students on various research projects that they're conducting. Is there any research that you could talk about right now that you're conducting? Yeah, so it's really been a great year for research in my lab, as I'm sure a lot of people experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic with the university being shut down. We were really limited in the research we could conduct. We were working from home. We weren't able to bring research participants into the lab, and we were just very limited in what we could do. So luckily this year, as of um this past fall, we were able to get our lab up and running again, bringing participants into the lab and doing the type of research that we really love to do. And so that involves mostly working with older adults and having them uh, do a variety of physical cognitive testing. We have them exercising for a, a set of perhaps six or 12 months and then retesting them and seeing what changes result from the exercises. That's really interesting to hear. And we want to dive a bit more into that. How important is physical exercise to young adults or students right now? Yeah, so based on my research, I'm a bit biased, but I would say that exercise is extremely important throughout the lifespan, including for young adults. And so young adulthood is a really interesting time because we know that there are still parts of the brain that are still forming. So this includes the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for complex executive functions such as decision making and judgments. And it is continuing to develop into adolescence and into young adulthood. And so the experiences we have earlier in life, including during this time period, can really help to shape our brain and build what we call cognitive reserve. So this is going to help us ward off later in life things like cognitive decline. And exercise is just one of the many experiences that we can have that help to shape our brain as it's developing, among other things like education and other new experiences. And in the short term, we also know that exercise has a 
benefits for improving mood, energy, focus, and reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety. And all of these things impact young, student, uh, young adults, including students. So how would you define cognitive function? Because I know a lot of the work kind of says that as a term. So what does that mean? Yeah, so my current position is in the School of Kinesiology, but my background training throughout undergrad and graduate school was actually as a cognitive psychologist looking at cognition. And so cognitive function is our processing of internal and external stimuli, and it's really an umbrella term that encompasses domains that you everybody's heard of, things like memory, attention, language, and executive function. When it comes to cognitive function and students, you were, you separated into two categories. You said, A, exercise is important to build a cognitive reserve for the future, because as we grow older, our cognitive health might deteriorate and that reserve might slow that process down, I guess. What about, let's say, a, a student and their performance at school? Would exercise or the lack thereof possibly impact that as well? Or is it mostly the benefits later in life that are related to cognitive health and cognitive function? Yeah, so it's really both. So in the older adult literature, we have found that getting older adults to exercise regularly can actually increase the size of their hippocampus, which is the memory center of their brain. So the hippocampus actually increases in volume after a period of six or 12 months of regular exercise compared to sedentary older adults. But we also see immediate benefits of exercise as well. So there's a whole body of literature to show the effects of an acute bout. So one um, one bout of exercise, you go out, you go for a 20, 30 minute run. And what are the immediate impacts of that? And finding that there are all sorts of benefits for executive function, things like memory. So we can think about in the student context, how you can apply that if you're going to study, perhaps going for a run but right before you study might make it easier for you to learn, understand and memorize information that you can then apply to an upcoming test. There's also, as I mentioned, the benefits in terms of mood and mental health, which we know all of this plays into academic performance and well-being as well. You mentioned like going for a run. Um, is that the type of exercise that is usually studied, kind of like aerobic exercise, or does this work with like weight exercise or, or other things as well? Yeah, so a lot of the literature and a lot of the research on this topic tends to focus on aerobic exercise. One of the reasons being that it's easy to prescribe and easy to do. It's easy to tell people, you know, go for a walk, go for a run, ride a bike um, without a lot of instruction. But my research actually focuses on the benefits of resistance training. So weightlifting specifically as a different mode of exercise. And again, it's less studied because you may need equipment, you may need instructions on how to properly perform the exercises, etc. But what we find is that resistance training has many of the same benefits, if not even greater benefits compared to aerobic exercise. And then apart from my research, there's a lot of work that's been done on a variety of different exercises, ranging from yoga to ballroom dancing to Tai Chi. And all of these have been found to have benefits for cognitive function. Um, so it's not necessarily the type of exercise, but it's just 
more about finding something that you are going to enjoy doing. And all of these different types of exercise may have different mechanisms for how they're impacting brain health and may impact brain health in different ways. Wow, sounds great. And what about actually implementing these kinds of exercises to our day-to-day? So what do you think is the ideal frequency to exercise? Is it better to do more intense workouts that are less frequent or shorter workouts every day or every other day? What is the sweet spot? Yeah. So my recommendation really is that anything is better than nothing. And so if you're starting from a place where you don't get physical activity regularly, implementing any sort of physical activity into your routine is going to have a benefit. In terms of some of the short-term benefits, like for mood and mental health, certainly getting smaller bouts of regular physical activity like every day can be really beneficial. So taking a break, getting up, going outside for a walk. In terms of actually changing brain function, brain structure, and leading to some of these long-term benefits, we do like to see a minimum intensity reached. So this is what we would call moderate to vigorous intensity, where your heart's really pumping, you're getting out of breath. And that seems to be what's necessary in order to, um, for example, uh, increase neurotrophic factors like brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF, which is one of the proposed mechanisms for how exercise in the long term helps brain health. Okay, so specifically, uh, in terms of this factor that you're talking about, you mentioned that one of the stimuli is a greater heart rate and vigorous exercise. So would that be more specific to aerobic exercise once again? Because when it comes to weightlifting, it is usually extremely short, you know, first, let's say one set of eight reps and your heart rate is not really at a super high zone for a relatively long time. And in between sets, you're resting for a few minutes as well. So is this something, is this long-term um, brain improvements that you're talking about? Are these specific to aerobic exercises then? Yeah. So in terms of BDNF, it appears that that is mostly related to aerobic activity. And we can see this from some of the animal literature. So where they get animals to exercise, and then they can look at levels specifically of these neurotrophic factors. One of the proposed mechanisms for how resistance training, on the other hand, impacts brain health is through an increase in insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1. So it appears that there's divergent mechanisms for different types of exercise. I also think that resistance training has benefits in that it also involves kind of a new experience and some sort of cognitive training, especially for older adults, let's say. So a lot of older adults, they know how to go for a walk, but maybe they've never done any weightlifting before. So it's a new experience. As I mentioned, this whole concept of new experiences leading to um, neuroplasticity and building this cognitive reserve. And so they also have to keep track of the weights that they're doing, the load, the number of reps, the number of sets, what's the proper form, what seat position should this be in. So it's a lot of like memory and thinking and decision making that needs to be done in conjunction as opposed to walking, which can be more or less passive. That's really interesting to hear. Is that why um, a lot of times like older adults are told to do kind of puzzles or things like Sudoku and things like that? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And so uh, the cognitive training literature itself is a bit mixed in that we tend to not see a lot of transfer. And so if you do a lot of crossword puzzles, you will get really good at crossword puzzles, but that doesn't mean that you're going to then be better at remembering your grocery list or um, figuring out how to navigate a complex environment, for example. So um, cognitive training doesn't necessarily transfer to other cognitive skills, but something like resistance training where you're kind of prioritizing multiple different things and having to kind of keep your brain thinking in different ways is a way that kind of encompasses multiple cognitive functions and can therefore lead to some greater benefits as well. So the impact from exercising would be kind of more transferable than from puzzle things like that. That's right. That's interesting. And in terms of aging and exercise, what is the impact? Is it more of delaying the onset of cognitive decline or is it preventing it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. When we think about cognitive decline, we can think about it as having multiple goals. So we can think about, do we want to just maintain cognitive function? over time? Do we want to improve cognitive function over time? Or do we just want to slow the decrease of cognitive function over time? And so it appears that exercise can do, depending on the population, depending on the types of exercise and the length of exercise, a kind of a combination where we do see that it um, delays the onset of cognitive decline. But as I mentioned before, in the one study that found that aerobic training actually increased the size of the hippocampus, we can actually see improvements above and beyond what we would normally expect for aging. When it comes to, again, we're back to um, students in this case, how would you prescribe someone that does not currently exercise and is not the biggest fan of exercising? How would you recommend them to get started, make those first steps? Because I know that there are a lot of people that know that exercise is good for you, right? Majority of people know that exercise is good for you. A lot of people even try to get started. You know, New Year's, we see gyms being full, um, but it does not carry forward with a lot of people. Yeah, I think that this is a million dollar question. <laughs> we know how important it is and all the benefits, but yet, such a huge significant portion of our population is sedentary. And so why is this? And just speaking from the neuroscience perspective, the neuroscience side of things, it makes sense because our brain is going to seek immediate rewards and satisfaction. So in the present moment, what's going to feel more rewarding? Getting on your gym clothes, schlepping your way over to the gym, working out, or just staying where you are, comfortable, warm, scrolling on your phone, that's going to be releasing all the dopamine and happy feelings in your brain instead of making that effort to get up and go to the gym, right? And it's also hard to prioritize the long-term rewards that you might not see right away. So in the case of preventing cognitive decline or dementia, you're not going to see the impact of going to the gym today for maybe another 40 or 50 years. So how do you convince yourself that you need to go to the gym today when you aren't going to see that immediate impact? And so I think there's a couple important things to consider. First of all, not to consider traditional forms of exercise. So it doesn't have to be going to the gym, you know, 
going at the treadmill for an hour and hating every moment of it if that's not what you like to do. So thinking about ways that you can, instead of doing exercise, just moving your body in ways that you find enjoyable and matches with your lifestyle and interests. So maybe it's hot yoga in the mornings or joining a rec league where you can meet new people. Maybe it's trying indoor rock climbing or going for hikes on the weekends. So you can think a little bit outside the box and not just think about the traditional treadmill at the gym but what else can you do that is still moving your body but maybe incorporating some of your other interests and I also think for me at least it's important to take the decision making process out of it so for example I used to have the goal to go to the gym once per week and on Mondays I'd be tired and think no today's not the day I'm going to go tomorrow Tuesdays I'd get busy end up working late Wednesday, something unexpected would happen. Thursdays, it's almost the weekend. I'll just go then. And it would just get into this cycle of every day saying, you know, I'm going to go to the gym one day this week, but not today, not today. And instead, I took that decision making process out of it and just assigned Thursday is my gym night. And now I don't have to ever think, should I go to the gym tonight or not? The only thing is, is it Thursday? Yes or no. And if it's Thursday, I go to the gym. It's in my calendar. Everyone in my life knows not to bother me on Thursdays because that's my gym night. And I'm not putting it off till later or negotiating with myself. There's no decision-making process. And so I think making some sort of commitment to yourself, um, whether it's booking an exercise class for certain days or making plans with a friend to meet up for a walk, but the more you can take that decision-making out of the process, I think the greater success you'll have. So that sounds great. Honestly, the closest thing I can think of that in my life is lectures. Um, during COVID, when we had pre-recorded lectures, we had all the time in the world to do them. But obviously, I yes. get my work done much faster when I have a set time to go to class in person. And I don't exactly. spend an entire week note-taking two hours worth of lectures. Yes, exactly. It's the same concept. It's scheduling it at a certain time and not having to make that decision of should I listen to the lecture today? No, I don't feel like it. I'll do it tomorrow. But obviously, if you do it today, you're going to be better off, right? So right. not even making that an option of whether you want to do it or not, it's just happening. When you mentioned the kind of neuro side of it and how we seek reward, it's like, it's all clicking. So it's, it's definitely nice to see that it's something that is also studied and something that is that has some background to it if that makes sense it's been great to have you on the podcast today yeah thank you so much it was really great to chat with you and really good questions <laughs> thank and you so much definitely gave us a lot to think about